it, it never ever stops haunting me. Yeah. Um, uh, I, you know, I always think of the things I should have done better, that the, I should have done more. I allow this when because I placated management. Um, and what I did know was that no one should ever be put in that position. Welcome to the Rising Lioness podcast on All About Animals Radio, a place dedicated to animals and all those who act to protect and advocate for them. Hi, I'm your host, Erica Salvamini, and I'm thrilled and honored to be here representing All About Animals Radio using my voice for the animals. Thank you for joining us for what intends to be a thought-provoking and soul-inspiring series where we discuss topics aimed at understanding the importance of the relationship between empathy, animal rights, and our peaceful coexistence with the animal kingdom. And now on to our show. Hello and welcome. Today we have David and Tracy Holroyd joining us. They are brother and sister authors who together have written the Perfect Pair Dolphin Trilogy, a story to expose the dark and exploitative dolphin entertainment industry, also known as Dolphinariums. At 11 years old, David won a prestigious scholarship to Bolton Art School before becoming apprenticed to his father as a sign writer and illustrator at age 15. However, at 17, a leading leisure company hired David, David as a dolphin presenter. His natural talent and deep connection to the animals immediately elevated him to the position of trainer. David quickly became recognized as one of Europe's finest dolphin trainers. Upon reaching the pinnacle within this field, David left the dolphin industry, vowing never to return again. Today, we will learn why. Tracy has worked as a college lecturer, as well as having written many short stories and articles for national children's and teen magazines. Tracy published her first two books in 2011, The Children's History of Manchester and Children's History of Lancashire, before beginning work with her brother David on the Perfect Pair Dolphin Trilogy. As a fervent animal lover since early childhood, Tracy eagerly embraced the quest to co-author this trilogy in the hopes that this expose would educate readers on the true horrors of the commercial dolphin entertainment industry. Welcome, Tracy and David. It is an honor and a pleasure to have you both here today to discuss your book series, and more importantly, to discuss the message within these writings. And I am I'm just honored to have you here. So thank you. Thank you for joining us. Oh, it's great. Great to be here, Erica. Yes. We, we really have been looking forward to this interview. Fabulous. Same here. Same here. So I had read that in, in one of the trilogy's descriptions, it said there are literally hundreds, if not thousands, of academic works written about dolphins, and that this is certainly not one of them, for within these pages dwells a story of the plight of the commercial dolphin. The Perfect Pair Dolphin Trilogy is a damning expose of the captive cetacean industry. And there's just so much to unpack with this and to talk about. So I thought that we would just jump right in. And David, I was I wanted to ask you first, could you describe what it was like for you as a young man working for a dolphinarian? Well, as you can imagine, um, I, I was a sign writer and illustrator with my dad before um, 
I got the call basically to to uh, to go and be a dolphin presenter, and um, I I'd never actually seen a, a real live dolphin when I got this call, um, so it was it was a magical experience at first, and of course I ended up um, leaving Manchester, being whisked away to a Yorkshire mining village called South Elmsall. And this was right at the very beginning of the UK Dolphinarium boom. Um, and South Elmsall was an old disused swimming pool that had been commandeered to work as a brake training pen for dolphins coming from the US. Now, obviously, uh, they didn't come from Taji at this time because uh, that that side of this horrible industry uh, hadn't begun yet. Uh, they actually came from Florida and they were shipped over to Yorkshire pens. So the U.S. was the Florida was where the, these dolphins were coming from. But nowadays you're saying, where did you say they come from now? Mainly uh, they come. They're coming now from Taji in Japan. I, uh, I mean, everybody's heard of the cove, um, yes. you know, that terrible dolphin slaughter that goes on there for six months of every year. Yeah. Uh, but what they don't realize is that th 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 this particular slaughter is not the big money earner. The big money earner is selling pretty dolphins to aqua circus venues globally. And a dolphin now can bring up to, I'm going to go in pounds here because I'm not quite sure what the dollar to the pound rate is, but you would certainly be looking at £150,000 for a raw dolphin. That's completely untrained. Wow. That is huge, huge money. So it's easy to see why Taji is now known as a gangster town. Understood. Because, of course, with this kind of money, you you draw in the people who exploit it. Right, right. Yeah. And um, it's understood that these these magnificent creatures, they're known for their, their heightened intelligence and psychic gifts. And so what must that have been like for you working with these? Really, you said the word, and I agree. I had it in my mind. Magical creatures is what they really are. Well, what I'd like to say to your audience, to your listeners, first of all, is don't think of dolphins as a fish or yeah. even as a as a, a dog or a cat. Dolphins are Atlanteans. They literally are the people of the sea as we are the people of the land. So remember, we have hopes, dreams of, of, of getting married, you, you know, having a good time, seeing different places. So do dolphins. So do these people of the sea. And they certainly don't get it when they're locked up in a concrete fishbowl. Right. And no matter what the aqua circus directors tell you, no matter what propaganda you hear, it is a lie. And I know because I was one of those people that used to tell those lies back in the day. Understood. That must have been something for you. And, and we'll get to that point in the, I, I, I want to hear more about that and why you decided to leave. Uh, yeah. In fact, um, 
that is my next question. Uh, at what point did you realize that this dolphin business, because you were, you were a young, you were a young man, you were 17 years old when you started there. So what was it that made you realize was realize the dark, cruel nature of this? And was that the departure point for you? Well, but when I started in the pens, as you said, I was 17. I was super, super ambitious. I wanted to become the best of the best. I wanted my dolphins to become the finest in the world. Um, and so I worked very, very hard to bring this about. But I, I saw things in the pens and I literally closed my eyes to them because my ambition basically um, painted pretty pictures. And I tried to see the whole industry through rose-coloured glasses. Um, Duchess and Herbie's transport was fine, but we had a second transport in uh, South Elmsall. And uh, the transport was Stumpy, Baby Die, Scouse, and a dolphin called Bubbles. Now, Stumpy came and he was too sick to train. Uh, in other words, he was dying from the transport. He should never have been brought. Um, Baby Die was an illegally imported infant, less than two years of age. They've got to be two before they can be shipped and put on a plane. This dolphin was round about, I would say, 16 months old. Scouse, well, this poor guy was packed into a cargo hold high, like a stacker truck, and he he fought very badly. And the trainer that was with the dolphin on the transport couldn't get to the top box. So the actual sling or the harness that Scouse was in cut, and it took away his eyes. Oh, no. He lost his sight. No. Bubbles was next to Scouse, and she was in shock from the capture in the US. And uh, I can remember actually talking to the the, uh, the transporter. I said, why did you bring Bubbles? Because this is how hard nose this was. And he said, well, she was a lovely looking dolphin. And even though she wasn't eating back in the States, I thought she'd eat once she got here. She didn't. Bubbles, Bubbles' mind was broken in that transport. And that dolphin never ate a fish willingly. We had to give her two force feeds a day. And we did that every day for her short life in the UK. And even that I put aside because my connection with Duchess and Herbie was so great. And my love for them was so great that all that mattered was Duchess and Herbie. And you've got to remember, back in the pens, this is where I first learned of the connection. This dolphin, this men, this mind tap, and and I, all I can explain it as is that it made me nauseous. I actually felt nauseous, and I could feel a touch in me, literally mentally, and of course that just grew and grew and grew. So. I closed my eyes to all the horrors and I moved away with them to my 
first dolphinarium, which was Nosley Safari Park in the UK. Um, I later became head trainer for Nosley Safari Park, Real Dolphinarium, and Woburn Abbey Dolphinarium. And um, and it really, it, it all went from there. Um, the reason why I walked away, which was your initial question, was that we had a manager came in who cared only for money. And this manager, believe it or not, was a, a UK, he went on to be a UK celebrity TV presenter for animal welfare. And he openly admitted that he hated dolphins. So you can imagine what went on in those pools. In some cases, the filtration equipment was so bad because the companies were actually trying to to um we've just got a cat running i'm sorry about that okay. we're actually trying to save money sure um, cutting expenses and that yeah cutting yeah and and in the end the water was became a toxic mix of chlorine You're dolphin right. feces and waste and spent chemicals now they wouldn't allow me to ditch the water so what I used to do, I used to come in at around about 11 o'clock at night. I would pen the dolphins, seal them in chambers, and I would pull the plug. Literally, I did it so many times, but we couldn't fill the pool up in time. Oh. So so for the next shows the next day. So I was constantly threatened with the sack, even though I was the head trainer. Oh. Um, but the one thing was is that Duchess and Herbie were now known as the perfect pair. I see. They were Europe's finest dolphins. And even better, they would only work for me. Ah, no doubt. No. Because they knew you were a good soul. Mm -hmm. And that one day, um, you would be speaking for them. So I'm sure that, you know, with the tele telepathy that does exist for them and for us and then together that you had with them, I'm sure they knew who you were. And I'm sure that you had a, a greater, deeper connection than you even realized at that time. Well, well, you, you have to remember that dolphins have got no vocal cords. Right. And they've been on this planet for millions of years in one form or another. Right. So an intelligent creature, if it's going to talk, there's only one way he can talk. That's right. And it's through there. And that is what they do and we call this the connection and i'm not the only trainer to have experienced this uh there was another guy came out what was his name um, um, well, it was frank robson yeah frank robson who came in 1976 uh, i think he was a new zealand trainer uh, i think he worked for uh marine land not quite sure on that um but he wrote in an article in a matter um that this connection was true and existed. And, you know, our governments already know this. They've known this for 55 to 60 years, to my knowledge. But they don't tell the public. They don't want the public to recognise this. Because if they did, the dolphin slaughters in the Faroe Islands and in Taji wouldn't be called slaughters. They would be deemed genocide. Right, which is what big it is. difference in words there. Absolutely, absolutely. But it is, it is a genocide that's happening 
across the board for all animals right now. And which is why we have this network, the All About Animals Radio Network and why we're all trying to speak out here because um, you're right, that is exactly what's happening. So yeah. um, with all of that, I wanted to ask about a former head dolphin trainer by the name of David Capello. And who is he in all of this? <laughs> this is this is um, this has really been the joke of the uh, uh, David Capello is me. Got it. I I I was a uh, in the, those those in your starting days. Those we were all starstruck, and at seventeen, it's kind of X factor on steroids, if you know what I mean. Okay. And uh, and we all had stage names. My stage name was David Capello. I later removed that stage name when I actually became quite well known I didn't need the stage name so I went back to my original name so this does cause confusion but at the same time it was perfect to write that Dolph the Dolphin trilogy right because it meant that there if there were any legal problems we would dodge it by changing the names right. not just of my name of the trainers names of the places, but the only names that we didn't change was the names of the dolphins because I was determined to give them a voice. Absolutely. It's a, a beautiful tribute to them so that their lives were not in vain. And I just think that's wonderful. Um, for you both, how did you come to realize that you would write this book series together? Well, I'll let Tracy take this one, so off you go. Yes, I'd, I'd been asking David to, to write the story for years, and he always said he couldn't do it. He said, I can't do it. Not ready, basically, because it's something that haunted him. Yeah. Um, and then one day, I, I'd been getting a lot of work published, and I came back to him again, and I said, write your story. And he he did write a short story, which he then entered into a literary competition. Um, it was run by it was a nationwide contest, one one you know run by a major newspaper, and he won it. Um, and it it was a story not about the dolphins, but it was about a sea lion, Bobby the sea lion, who actually was the first. Your, your first, uh, you know. Well, the first yeah, encounter. Yeah. yeah. He, My he, first encounter with the Aqua Circus was Bobby the Sea Lion. Is that and, true uh, story? Was My first encounter with the Aqua Circus was Bobby the Sea Lion. Uh, right. and, and that was, and, is that a true story or is that? Oh, oh yes. Oh, true story. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yes, he he wrote the story, and I can I can actually remember myself meeting Bobby. Wow, he was gorgeous, um, very dangerous, <laughs> um, but he was absolutely gorgeous. Um, but David had had written this story. He entered the competition and he won first prize. So then I said to him, "Why don't you write the whole thing?" So he got he writes longhand. And he lay on his bed with a, you know, a, 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 a pad and a pen and a cat sitting on his legs. And he wrote the story. He initially said he wouldn't have enough material for a book. And I said, just see where it goes three books later. Yeah. And, and that's how, how he did it. 
That's amazing. And, and I'm so glad that you were there for him and that you are so close with each other that you could mm -hmm. inspire one another to do this together. I just think it's marvelous and divine and obviously uh, something that was meant to be for, for you and for the animals. Did that feel, David, I know this, this whole situation that, you know, this, this part of your life and mm -hmm. how challenging this must have been for you was completing the book series cathartic in a way and somewhat healing for you a lot of people say that the, the answer to that in truth is no it it never ever stops haunting me yeah. um uh, I, you know i always think of the things i should have done better that i should have done more i allowed this when because i Placated management. Um, and what I did know was that no one should ever be put in that position, the same position as I was. I mean, we we have a I have a saying, and it, and it's it's that um dolphin conservation and dolphin exploitation are two sides of the same coin. And 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 it is quite true. I mean, I thought I was helping my dolphins, and I'm, I'm I'm sure I was because they the only dolphin, the only love they got, and the only uh, action they got mentally stimuli was, was from me because nobody else cared. It was all money, money, money. But it still doesn't make me feel any better. But you did love um, them and you still love them. And did you ever consider, so from like a spiritual aspect, and I know you spoke of um, the Atlanteans and you do have a firm belief in that. So I'm wondering, do you believe in reincarnation and things of that nature where we come back, we're souls from another time, and then we come back and reincarnate these bodies and we're to do a mission, to create something, to, to, to fulfill something. And so if that is in fact the case, and perchance you do believe that, then it was decided long ago before you even arrived here on this planet, in this lifetime, in this body that is, you know, David Holroyd, that you and the dolphins, the Atlanteans, you are likely an Atlantean yourself then, decided before you got here that this was your destiny this was your mission so in that there there should be some peace and relief because without you doing this and without you going through this experience what comes next could never be which is hopefully you know the release the freedom freedom from suffering for the for the dolphins and for other cetaceans and um you know freedom from suffering is, is something that we all should uh, it's a right. Well, both Tracy and I are very big believers in this. Uh, so we, we, we are, and there is nothing that you've just said now to us that we would disagree with. Yeah. Um, all I know that I do believe that I was put here for a purpose. I had to go through this 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 nightmare, yeah. which everybody thought, by the way, was some kind of stardom, but it wasn't. And no matter what kind of success I had within the Aqua Circus, and and I said that the success was was big um, because I opened three of the UK's biggest shows live on stage with my dolphins, 
and I was offered Europe's then only killer whale to train. And the money was huge for that killer whale. And I walked away. I said, I couldn't stand this, this, this cruelty any longer. Um, so we didn't make any money there. And Tracy, would, if she could just tell you about what happened with the, our agents. Yes, when, when we first, when we wrote the first book, The Enchanted Mirror, um, we we sent the, the, the manuscript off to a, a huge agent um, in London, David Heim Associates, and we got an agent came back, very, very interested. She said, this, this is superb, it's fabulous material, she said, you've got a surefire hit on your hands. But when she got the full manuscript, she came back and she said, um, take out all the dark parts and give it a happy ending. She said, now, did we <laughs> yeah, she said, and, and, and I said to her, but I said, no, I said, we're trying to show people the truth of behind Dolphin Area and you want us to turn it into a fairy story. And she said, nobody wants to read about force feeds and dolphins committing suicide or attempting to commit suicide and all, all these other horrors. And they said, if you don't, if you don't, you know, change it, make it more Marley and me. She said, um, we, we can't take it. And we said, well, then yeah. it, well, there was also talk from that same agent, this can go to film. Yeah. So this is what you're dealing with. You're dealing with an awful lot of money and a major publisher will take this, but we refuse to sell out. No. Right. So it cost us, financially, I don't know what it's cost us, but it's frightening, obviously, if you're taking film and... Uh, uh, a major publisher and a, the biggest agent in the country. From so we went from a hero to zero because nobody would take us because we refused to change the story, which has now been validated because it's in a UK museum. Uh, and they fact check everything so the story has been validated. So all the people who tried to stop us, who tried to shut us up. And now they can't say anything because wow. the truth is out. So your books are now in which UK museum is that? Yeah, they're in. They're in. Do you want to tell this bit? It's um, South Elmshorn. Is yeah, Wake, is it Wakefield? Uh, yes, it's in it's in Wakefield museums, museums and castles and ca yeah, and it's part of an exhibit, um, and it, it's an exhibit called Faces of South Elmshorn which is the original area where the pool, the secret pool, because it was hidden away there. I see. Yeah, um, existed. And they've gone back in time and they wanted, and of course, a, a dolphinarium in, in, in the middle of a mining village was such a novelty. Right. So, and they, they decided they would make it part of this uh, museum exhibition. Well, uh, bravo to them for doing that. And as you said, yes. they fact-check everything and vetted the... That's right. And and, and as I say, these dolphins, what you have to remember is the South Elmsall dolphins, the vast majority of them, my dolphins that I trained, we have a, a government 
report on dolphin area here called the Klanowski and Brown report. My dolphins are not there. They oh. do not exist. However, I have all the dolphin logbooks, the official logbooks of the dolphins that were there. And But doesn't that smack to you of a, of a cover-up? My dolphins don't exist. David Capello never existed. Um, it smacks as a, as a cover-up. And the pool, the South Elmsall pool, was called the secret pool. And it was the press who contacted us because they were saying to us, does anybody know anything about this secret pool? They completely wiped it. Or they had done. It's not wiped now. Right, right. And so they tried to do away with the the yeah. story of your dolphins as well. Mm -hmm. That's incredible and not surprising. And so, well, I hope that that your stories and this information gets out to the right people in the right hands so that, in my mind, a movie should be made and not as a Disney movie. Disney's great. I'm not saying anything bad about Disney, but it this is more compelling um, and not exactly with a happy ending. Hopefully, eventually there will be a happy ending. That is the hope that we have to have and have to keep to, you know, keep in mind that hopefully one day these these amazing animals will no longer be enslaved. Any animal rather, you know, for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I thought it would be fascinating to talk about your work through the lens of a dog and what life would be allowing us to see life from their perspective is that in fact how the stories read through the land yeah. of the dolphin uh-huh the, the the entire backbone of the perfect pair dolphin trilogy um is is the connection that's what it is um it's the telepathic link between human and dolphin wow. now the one thing about this link and those who have experienced it We'll tell you about this. The vast of people, who, who, there are other people who have experienced who refuse to talk about it. But what it does is it, is it makes you, as I say, nauseous. I spoke to you earlier about this. But it, it also drains you. When you jump into a dolphin's mind, they can easily jump into ours. There's no problem because they don't use vocal cords. They, this is the way they speak quite naturally. For me to try and speak to them, it's not natural. So it drains me. And there were times when I came off the stage, when I staggered off the stage, you know, when things weren't going well, as I tried to pull every trick in the book to get them to do the highball or do the tail walk or, or whatever they were going to do. And it, it, it was this is the connection. But it it is also, as I'm speaking to you and you're speaking to me, this was the way I... This is how it works. With I'd be at the pool there, and people used to laugh behind. I know, as I'm, my head's nodding like this, and no words coming from me, and the dolphins' heads would be nodding and doing this. There is a conversation going on, and I actually trained at the time the first double forward somersault, part of a shadow ballet routine, which had never been seen before, and. I don't believe I trained it. Herbie, who was the flipper dolphin of the perfect pair, he knew 
he knew right from the beginning. I had this picture in my mind and he wouldn't do it. And and I, I, I trained for at least a year and couldn't get there. And I thought, I'm, I'm shelving the trick. I can't put up with it any longer. And of course, Herbie's getting fatter and fatter and fatter because of all the fish he's, he's extorting from me, basically. <laughs> and and um, and then one day, Duchess had a, a highball. It was a 21-footer. It was the biggest highball in the country. You know, when they come out of the pool and hit the highball. And it was the only trick that the dolphins, the perfect pair, didn't do together. And one day, he started to speed up around the pool. And I knew, I knew, I saw him speed up. I thought, he's going to do a forward somersault. And he, he cut off her run and he came out of the water and he went. My gosh. Of course, I blew the whistle. I threw loads of fish in. I had Duchess complaining because she's saying, look what he's done to my eyeball. And I'm saying, never mind the eyeball. Let's get this trick. And he continued doing that to me for another two to three months. And in the end, when he did it, I refused to feed him. And I said, you don't get another thing of me until you teach her that trick. Wasn't me who taught the shadow ballet. It wasn't me who taught the double forward somersault, it was him. Tim. And did he teach her? Did he end up teaching her? He taught her very begrudgingly, I have to say. Uh, and then in the end, he he stole my whistle, blew it, and gave me a piece of fish. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Tracy and David, this has been one of the most enlightening and also unnerving conversations uh, that, that exposes animal abuse in the entertainment industry. And yet there's so much more to talk about. And so I was wondering if we could take a momentary pause and then come right back to record part two of the Perfect Pair Dolphin Trilogy Exposé. Would that be all right? Do you have- That would be that? champion, great. Thank you. Wonderful, thank you. And folks, thank you for joining us here today. And I also invite you back to please tune in to listen to our part two episode of this Perfect Pair Dolphin Trilogy podcast, where we will talk about the real life perfect, perfect pair dolphins. So we'll see you back here in just a little bit. Thank you both okay. so much. Bye, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. This has been Erica Salvamini for the Rising Lioness podcast on All About Animals Radio. A special thank you to Chris Corley for generously lending us his song, Zero Gravity, for the Rising Lioness podcast theme. Please take a moment to write a review for our show as it helps others to find us. Please also support our guests and their work, All About Animals Radio and our social networks. Doing this further supports the animals and their advocates too, thereby making you an Animal Kingdom warrior also. You can find our links on the Rising Lioness podcast page. Until next time, in the words of Sharon Nunez, Animal Equality President, remember this. The small actions of one passionate individual can create a butterfly effect leading to a movement that has the power to change the world. Please use your voice for the animals today.